You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Mill, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. I'm joined today by my former co-host and South Florida native, now the host of Locked On Warriors and a reporter with the Bay Area News Group, Wes Goldberg. The Heat were in Milwaukee to kick off the playoffs with an early afternoon tip, a rematch of last year's playoff battle, and a chance to put the pressure on the Bucks. Both teams have changed rosters, but you knew it was going to be a competitive matchup, and Game 1 did not disappoint. After struggling with his shooting all game long, Jimmy Butler set the game into overtime with a driving layup past Giannis Antetokounmpo. Overtime was much of the same after a questionable flagrant call was assessed to Duncan Robinson for elbowing Chris Middleton. Duncan responded with one of his seven three-pointers. A Drew Holiday layup pushed the lead up to three, but Goran Dragic responded with one of his five threes with just 20 seconds left in the game, and it looked like a second overtime period might be needed, but then Chris Middleton hit a tightly contested jumper with Robinson defending him well, leaving just a half second left in the game. The final play was a confusing one with Dragic inbounding the ball to find Jimmy Butler, who had his shot blocked in the corner by Holiday. And the Bucks held on to preserve the 109-107 win in Game 1. Game 2 will be on Monday night. A lot to unpack. An exciting back-and-forth game with neither team really able to pull away. But, Wes, I think the biggest story is the combined 8 of 37, just 22% shooting from Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Let's start with Jimmy, who went 4 of 22 himself, but uncharacteristically shot nine three-pointers, hitting two of them. What did you think of Jimmy's overall performance? I didn't think Jimmy's was I don't I didn't think Jimmy Butler was as bad as people were making it out to be on Twitter and stuff. Look, he still went seven of ten from the free throw line. He had a huge shot at the end over Giannis. Like that's what you're really asking for Jimmy Butler. He still had 10 rebounds, eight assists, a pair of steals, a block. Um, unbelievable defense, I thought, throughout the entire game. And and so I look, Jimmy Butler. Wasn't his most efficient shooting night, but it wasn't his worst. Like, I, I don't think he was nearly as bad as people are saying he was. Bam out of bio, though. Uh, to Let, go let's for- save that one. Let's oh, save okay. that one. All right. Okay. Because because Bam, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, you, you've been following the team just as well as anybody have. And I, you know that Bam's lack of aggression can set Heat Twitter on fire. So I kind of want to put a pin on that one for a little while anyway. But because Jimmy, though, the nine shots from three-point range – he said after the game that he was just taking the shots that the defense was giving because yeah. they, there wasn't a lot of options there. Brooke Lopez clogging the paint as effectively as ever. He wasn't able to get to the rim, but that's kind of disingenuous. Um, again, uncharacteristic for Jimmy because he had some bunny looks that he was just missing, some layups, some mm-hmm. turnaround jumpers over P.J. Tucker, much smaller, or Dante DiVincenzo, that he should have been able to hit and was not. So clearly there was something off there. He said he was going to yeah, get he, into he, the gym. Go ahead. He took he took a couple. He took like two or three just heat check threes that I thought were ill advised. Yes. So I would say, look, five or six of those three pointers he should have taken. Um, but but still, like, it's hard. This, these are the playoffs, right? And we remember Jimmy Butler last year in the postseason was making those. He and he, you know, he was making the same exact kind of heat check type of threes that we didn't see from him during the regular season. So, you know, I don't know if this was just Jimmy Butler testing himself, seeing if he's got it this postseason or whatever it was. Yeah, I really I know people have a problem with it, but I, I it's oh, I don't. 
I agree with you 100. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like a lot of those shots seemed like they were in rhythm. Maybe one was a little rushed. Maybe you could make that argument for two. But overall, of the nine that he took, they seemed within the flow of the game. It, yeah. it seemed like he was just taking a good shot that was open and available to him. And I think, like you said, Jimmy was testing the waters. Is my shot falling today? Okay, I'll take it. And and we've seen that from him periodically over the course of the season and a half that he's been with Miami. So I, the I, same I don't thing have LeBron does, by the way. I mean, LeBron, yeah. what what he he lost the and look, Jim Butler's not LeBron, but. They play, they're very similar in the way yes, that they, they kind of go about controlling the game. And and what it, LeBron went down 0-1 twice last year in the postseason, I believe. Yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, I know we're, I know we'll get to this, but it, it's just it's one loss. I, I don't want to make too much out of, you know, box score stuff. To me, it was more of, OK, how are these teams playing? That's more what I was looking at. You know, shots are going to go in and not. You mentioned, you know, all the bunnies that they missed. They shot 32.7 percent on two pointers. Yeah, <laughs> that that's awful. You know, and I think a lot of Bucks fans are saying, well, you know, if we weren't five for 31, uh, this wouldn't even be a game. Well, if, if the Heat weren't missing 33 percent of their, you know, if they weren't missing 66 percent of their their two pointers, most of them within eight feet of the basket, then it wouldn't have been a game either. You know, I think both teams just it, they suffered the, the 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 miss part of the make or miss league kind of thing uh, <laughs> to an extreme on both ends. Yeah, uh, only 24 points in the paint for the Heat compared to 56 for Milwaukee, mm. something you'd expect, obviously, with Giannis and Brooke Lopez there. But, I mean, with Jimmy, I, part of it for me was I kept waiting for him to turn it up. And I, I think we saw that early on. And we've seen this from him regularly. Like The comparison to LeBron is one I've made before, too, where he kind of just surveys the game. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is good. He wasn't aggressive to start the first quarter. And you're thinking this is exactly playing into Jimmy's strengths, where he's kind of assessing the game, what's necessary of him, and he's kind of going to dictate from that point forward. And then when he does decide to turn it up, he falls short. Like, it's just not there. And I'm not sure exactly what it was. And part of it is the argument about whether or not his shot wasn't falling. And he said, again, that he was going to work on his touch a little bit because for whatever reason, he was a little rusty. Keep in mind, the Heat and Bucks were both you know, off for a week. So maybe that contributed to some of the rust early on. But you wonder whether or not it was partly because of Drew Holiday's defense, who did a pretty good job. I mean, Giannis guarded him at times. Um, I, Holiday did a pretty good job. Tucker at points. I think it was a, you know, a gang effort there, a combined effort from the Bucks, But they may have challenged Jimmy in a way he wasn't expecting. Um, I think that's that's probably fair. You know, I think the Drew Holiday element can't be overstated. Uh, he was so good defensively in that game, I thought, uh, as he is in every time he's been in the postseason. And, and that gave them one other defender to sort of cycle through. And, and even Giannis played a little bit more on Jimmy, I thought, in this yeah. game than he did maybe at any point in the in the, the series that they had last year. Uh, the Bucks obviously this year have switched their defensive scheme from just man to man all the time to to being more switch heavy and and more I guess willing to switch and things like that. So we saw a lot of that. And now that they have guys like Giannis and Middleton and Drew Holiday, uh, I think Jimmy Butler, you know, he saw his fair share of all three of those guys. And uh, you know, again, just the presence of Drew Holiday added to those other two, mm -hmm. it's just so much more difficult now when you have three elite defensive players that he's going to have to go through at some at various points. And not to mention Tucker, too. I, I mean, yeah. And, and look, you cannot discount the the drop coverage that they implement with Lopez there. He's just such a big body. And there were a couple of times there where he absolutely hammered Butler uh, just because of his sheer physicality. And, and it looked like it was starting to get a little testy at one point. I, I, one time, uh, Lopez fouled 
uh, Butler and then Butler, you know, Lopez was complaining, of course, as uh, every player in the NBA does. And then Butler looked at him like, said, you fouled me. That's what the point is. I mean, that's I'm arguing. I got the foul call because you did actually foul me. But then later on in the game, he delivered like a, a, a big blow to the head there. And I thought Butler was going to get hurt. I think at first it looked dirty. I know a lot of Heat fans will gravitate towards that and say Brook Lopez is dirty. I don't think he is. I think he's just a little slow in plotting because that's just, his, you know, he's seven, seven feet tall. That's just the nature of who he is. Uh, at the same time, it, it was an awkward fall from Jimmy and it looked a lot more egregious at the moment. So yeah, overall, I though, dirty. yeah, I didn't think so either. But so to to kind of appease Heat fans that are going to look to to put, you know, Lopez's head on a, on a pike or something like that. Overall, I'm not upset like you said, about Jimmy's performance. Even he, after the game, seemed pretty calm. And like this is typical Jimmy, right? He's cool, he's calm. He's like, you know, those shots will fall. Everybody misses you know, shots. I'm not worried about it. I'll go in there. He, he, you know, he was asked specifically about the nine three-pointers. He's like, nah, I'll, I'll take them again. They're going to fall. And I, and I believe him, right? Like, I, I, at right. some point, you know that those shots will eventually fall. This was so well, strange to see Butler miss all those shots. They took 53s. I know the game went to overtime, but they took 53s in that game. Of their 99 shots, 50 of them were three-pointers. Like, Jimmy taking nine of them is not egregious when you put it into context of how many threes Miami took in that game. I mean, he took he took nine three-pointers in that game and still took the third most on the team. <laughs> yeah. Duncan Robinson took 13. Goran Dragic took 10. You got six of them from Trevor Ariza, six from Kendrick Nunn. You got five from Tyler Hero off the bench who barely, like, I don't think he played in the second half or, like, certainly not in the fourth quarter and into overtime. So, like everybody was taking a ton of th- Andre Godal took one three. That's like the equivalent of Jimmy Butler taking nine. You know that it's uh, everybody was taking threes. So you know context matters, and I I think that you know you're gonna look at Jimmy Butler's stat line first, and then probably Bam second because those guys are the stars, and then maybe you just don't go past that. But I think that's a mistake when you're sort of uh, trying to analyze this game and put it into context. I mean, they, they made a point to take as many threes as they could in this game. And by the way, it almost worked for them. You know, yeah. they, they almost won this game and, and they don't even get that far. If Jimmy Butler doesn't make the most important basket of, or probably the second most important basket of the game behind of Middleton's, you know, game winner. Sure. Uh, they're not even in overtime. If Jimmy doesn't make that basket over Giannis. I mean, you, you, you see the 50 shots attempted and you go, oh, wow, that's excessive. But they hit 20. And sure, a lot of that was, as you said, Robinson and Dragic. But that's good for 40%. Yeah. On any other night, you say, oh, 40% shooting from three, that's pretty good. And you take that and walk away happily, uh, probably with a win. Did it work out that way? And a big part of the blame, I think, will fall on this next player that we'll talk about in the following segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. I'm here with Wes Goldberg. We're talking about the game one loss of the Milwaukee Bucks. And we're going to be talking about Bam Adebayo because there's certainly a lot of people talking about Bam on the timeline right now after a 4 of 15 shooting night that feels much worse than Jimmy's own 4 of 22 shooting performance. And I think part of the problem is that there were long stretches there where Bam just 
refuse to look at the hoop. And I think this is a recurring problem. There's this running gag on Heat Twitter about Bam saying, I just need to be more aggressive. We've heard it from him a couple of times in post-game pressers. I'll personally admit, I didn't even stick around for his post-game presser because I didn't think anything there was going to be too revelatory. Like there was nothing insightful that he was going to be able to offer. Either it was, I need to be more aggressive, which is redundant because it's, it's something that he said so many times before, or, you know, just what is he going to do? Cop to it? That seems unlikely. I think he's confident enough to say, well, eventually those shots will keep falling, but four of 15 is bad it should have probably been closer to jimmy's four of 22 i think we probably would have been a lot happier if he had just looked to be more aggressive now credit to lopez because he absolutely just i think terrified bam and there were moments there where both trevor ariza and jimmy butler both smaller and less athletic than bam and Abayo, were more than willing to go at lopez conversely bam was not what did you what were your takeaways of bam shooting performance Less less worried about him being aggressive. I mean, he just the shot just wasn't going down, right? That was my thing. Is he took what uh, of his fifteen shots? All of them were from basically the foul line down. Yeah, he's all not getting the to the rim with he's not getting to the rim with Lopez there. There were a couple of times like he no. put up one that one reverse layup that missed everything, and he just kind of like threw it towards the backboard. Like he had no idea what he was doing uh, with Lopez there yeah. in the middle. He went one for three in the restricted area. Um, that's a, that's a problem, but you're right. Like that's, that's the Brooke Lopez presence. That's going to be there. Giannis is a great help defender. He's going to close out also like, look, he might not go one for three every night in the restricted area, but he's not going to be terribly efficient probably in the restricted area. What he needs to do is hit that mid range shot. And that was supposed to be the difference in Bam's game, right? That was supposed to elevate his offensive game to this next level was that, that little foul shot jumper. Right. And he went, he went, um, I'm going to count him right now. He missed one, two, three, four, four, five, four, five, and made one of them in the game. So he basically yep. went one for six, one for seven in the game from that like foul range area. That shot needs to go down. A couple of them rimmed out and stuff like that. But if, the, if those go down, you know, if half of those go down, we're talking about Bam Adebayo's game in a very different way. I think one thing's for sure, though, however it happens, if Brooke Lopez outplays Bam Adebayo, the Heat will probably end up losing that game. Like that, I understand that Brooke Lopez is a good player, but he's limited. I was actually surprised that Boonholzer went with him to close the game over PJ Tucker. It ended up working out, but uh, he had 18 points. Bam had nine. You know, he was five for 10 overall. Bam was four for 15. He had eight rebounds. Bam had 12. So that's not an, like, and he had, Bam had four offensive rebounds. Brooke Lopez had three. So the rebounding margin wasn't enough to make a difference. I don't really care about rebounds because I think rebounding is a loser stat anyway. Yeah, you've been consistent from... about this for years. Uh, locked yes. on heat, long term, long time locked on heat listeners know about your war <laughs> against the rebound. That's right. The big three didn't rebound great, and they were just okay. They were, they were just pretty fine. good. They were pretty good. Uh, uh, so yeah, Bam can't get outplayed by Brooke. It's it's that simple. And and those foul line jumpers in particular. That's the thing that needs to go down the three point shot, whatever. Like if that I'm glad he didn't take any threes, because if, if the foul line jumper is not going, the three pointer is not going to be going. So that's the one that needs to go down. My, my counter to that, though, is that you say it's not necessarily the aggression that is a, a concern for you. But there were times there where he's just kind of holding there like he, he's at the not even the top of the key. Like he's there at the wing. He's kind of holding the ball a little bit. He's waiting, waiting waiting for Duncan to come around. Well, it's because he wasn't confident in the jumper because it wasn't going down. I think I think what you and I are saying is the same thing. Like if that jumper Maybe. starts going down early, he's taking more of them. Right. Maybe. But they just weren't falling. And that and that to me is like 
the that's the genesis of the problem. It's not necessarily aggression. It's that the jumper wasn't going down. He didn't have the confidence to be aggressive. Well, he's got like, to be one thing if he was like 12 for 15 and you're like, why didn't you take 25 shots tonight? You know, but he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like he's just got to keep taking them. There were moments there where the one thing we you and I both ever since Bam's rookie year have been consistent about when we talk about Bam is he looks like he's got the touch, right? Like he, he looks yeah. like he's got a pretty deft stroke there that he's pretty adept. We've seen that improve improved shooting from the mid range this year over last season. We saw it in the bubble where he was a much improved mid range shooter and we're thinking to ourselves, okay, he's going to take that leap. It just isn't there comfortably. Today, there were definite moments where he was absolutely gun-shy with Lopez around. Even when Lopez was dropped completely away and there was plenty of room there, it just seemed like Bam was out of rhythm, completely uncharacteristic for him. He just did not look smooth, did not look in rhythm, and then the shot kind of fell. There was one particularly bad clunker late in the game that had Heat fans just, like, throwing their phones and TVs and whatever. It was really, really bad. So I, I don't know. Like, I feel, again, Jimmy's game, not great but somehow much more easy to tolerate than Bam's just because, you know, Bam just did not look like he was comfortable at all. And he absolutely needs to be better. Like you can win a game. I think with Jimmy not being a great scoring threat, I don't know that you can necessarily do right. that. If Bam's being outplayed by Brooke Lopez or not, if Bam's not playmaking the way that he can either, right? Sure. Like just five assists is kind of low for even him, yeah. you know, like it, compared to what he was doing in the postseason last year. So, um, Credit you know, to just, Milwaukee's defense, though, right? I, I feel like a lot of the times where he's able to make those dribble handoffs or find cutters, they were denying any kind of off-ball movement. There yeah. was a lot less from Miami than there normally is. And by the and as the game went on, they were just leaving him open from that mid-range area, and he yeah. wasn't taking them. Right. That's that's the problem, then, right? I mean, yeah, and maybe it's chicken and an egg kind of sort of thing. But either way, he he's got to got to feel more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I don't know. Like I, I mean, I don't want to add fuel to our already roaring fire because everybody is really like talking about bam and look this is stupid to bring up the contract and max level player and whether or not he needs to do more bam is a phenomenal player a young player with plenty of upside and plenty of time to reach what is termed a no ceiling for a reason like he is a limit unlimited kind of potential type player he's going to get there at some point so we, there are going to be some moments here and there where he's going to falter and that's just to be expected i mean he's 23 right and playing in yeah. like huge games like Dwayne wade was a rookie at 23 i mean it's completely different like if you want to compare clutch players to clutch players it's just it doesn't work out that way even throughout heat history so I, it's just kind of unfair to criticize him but i would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive let's talk about some of the more positive role players that contributed here and i think duncan robinson is a good place to start because he did wind up having a huge game seven of 13 from the field for 24 points he had it going early connected on his first i think three three pointers had nine points mm -hmm. early on matching his points per game average in the against the bucks last year so whatever it was that milwaukee had done last year sending multiple defenders and chris middleton bodying him up and keeping him from getting open looks it wasn't working today chris was i mean milton was doing a pretty good job of defending robinson but they were sending multiple screens uh, to try and get him open looks and he didn't meet, need much time he, as soon as he had an open look he was taking it even one from like 30 feet out that was particularly head scratching but for an, on a night like when you know today or a day like today when he's shooting as well as he is you kind of let him just he has the ultimate green light and it paid off because he was a real uh, impact player for Miami yeah and he hit that huge three-pointer on the move at the end there yep um you know and and by the way I think this is repeatable for him 
Yes. And it's not like it's not like Milwaukee was leaving him open. That dude is just long. He has that like Lamarcus Aldridge kind of reach where I don't care who you put on him. Like it, it's going to be hard to, to block a shot or contest his shot. Um, seven for 13. All of that was from three point range, 24 points. I, I think that, look, I don't know if he'll go seven for 13 every night. I think he should have taken 15 threes. I think he should be taking 15 threes a game in, in this in this series. Uh and because Milwaukee gives up a lot of threes, they gave up 50 in overtime today. So uh, I, I think that this is absolutely repeatable for Duncan Robinson. I don't think this this, this was a fluke whatsoever from him. I, okay. Maybe this is a, a somewhat hot take. He, he should have gone the last shot of the game. It should not have gone to Jimmy. Oh, Butler. it was definitely drawn up for him. The, was it? The Bucks, yeah, the Bucks denied him. Yeah, Jimmy Butler was the second option there. Absolutely. I I don't know that that was the case. I From what I There's saw, There's no way Spo draws up a first option of Jimmy Butler running toward the baseline to, for a turnaround jumper from the corner. There's no way that that was Spo's play call. There's no uh, way. Maybe. I don't – I mean, you look, we've seen from Spo, you're, he knows he, he's going to go to a star. I mean, he went to Dwayne as a three-point shooter more often than we would ever have liked for that play to have been drawn up. And, and I think he I think he drew it up for Jimmy. I'll be 100% honest with you. Maybe, maybe I'm off base yeah, there. I, don't, I think that if he were going to draw it up for Jimmy, he would have – so – like Bam set a screen on the baseline to pr- try and rub uh, Butler's guy. So Butler was definitely an option, right? And, but I just feel like if he were the primary option, he wouldn't have again been running away from the basket to try to get this tough turnaway jump, turnaround jumper. Like I can't imagine if, if Spo was actually going to call the play for Jimmy Butler, that would not have been the shot that he would have called for him, even if it was going to the corner. Like there's another way to get a shot. Like, I think it would have been something more of like a floppy action or something where maybe Bam sets a screen on the baseline and, or like a Spain type of, you know, back screen where he comes up and, and gets a shot more in rhythm. But like, there's no way Spolstra is calling the primary option for whoever it is running away from the basket and trying to turn around from the corner with 0.5 seconds to go. Like, there's just no way that that was. So I think that the primary option was Duncan Robinson because he has the quickest release. Like it'd be one thing if there was five seconds left. I would understand going being down two with five seconds left, giving it to Jimmy Butler, right? He's your star. I get that. But with 0.5 seconds left, you get it to the guy who's the who's not only the best three point shooter, but has but really just who has the quickest release. That's yeah, what you he, need. He, he has time Duncan left on Robinson. the clock after he releases it. So that's that's how yeah. quick he is. So I, it was maybe you're right. I I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to recall now if he was asked about it. And I don't think he was, and I, I did not ask him about it because. You know, you don't want to piss off Spo in those moments and, and question whether or not he was drawing up a, a call for the wrong player or something. But um, Goran Dragic, let's move on to somebody else that was pretty positive. Uh, one of my big questions, and I think a lot of people uh, on both sides, uh, Miami or Milwaukee, are wondering whether or not Goran Dragic would be able to replicate what he did against the Bucks last year and in the playoffs last year where he was Miami's leading scorer up until the Eastern Conference Finals. And he had a phenomenal game, 10 of 17 from the floor. 5 of 10 from three-point range, 25 points overall to lead the Miami Heat. Great game from him. Looked sharp, uh, defended well by Holiday and others, but aggressive, looking for his Mm -hmm. shot frequently and and had the floater game going and just maybe not as quick as he once had been and not able to get to the rim as easily, but he had the floater game falling, and I think he was super impactful for the Heat. Yeah, I mean, is is Dragic now in the phase of his career where he just holds it for the playoffs? Is that sort of like the Goran that we're seeing now? I mean, if so, great. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Uh, he was fantastic. And the broadcast couldn't stop raving about him. And by the way, he was very good defensively. I thought too, he was always in his spots yes. where he needed to be. And, uh, and you've been long on this, like Goran Dragic is not as bad as a defender as people think he is. Yes. Um, especially like closer to the rim, which is weird. You would think it would be the opposite, but he holds his own, right? He's and like I said, he's in the right spots. He doesn't give up. He doesn't try he to locked do down like Middleton that. at one point in the perimeter. Yeah. And then I think he blocked DiVincenzo's shot at the rim mm-hmm. too. And yeah, so I'm glad you brought it up. I should mention Duncan also p- played a pretty solid game defensively too. And he also, not only that, I agree. But he also was he was awarded the closing role, Tyler being mostly ineffective, which we'll talk about in the next segment. But Duncan there as a closer late in the game, something that a lot of Heat fans have been clamoring for. So Spo listened, I guess. I don't know. He recognized the how, how hot shooting Duncan was and decided to put him out there as well, alongside Goran Dragic in that closing unit. And it paid off, obviously, as he hit that three-pointer down the stretch. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic were obviously the heroes of the game. And and by the way, you know, Dragic coming off the bench. You know, he's a lot of his minutes are coming when like Bryn Forbes is on the court, when Pat Connaughton is on the court, when Bobby Portis is on the floor. Like, you know, those opportunities, I think, are still going to be there for him. And I'll say the same thing I said for him that I said about Duncan Robinson. I don't know that they score 24, 25 points every night, but whatever they did, I think is is repeatable, just their general amount of effectiveness. And you're absolutely right about Duncan Robinson. I think that needs to be called out. What he did defensively was so what he is, what he was in game one and what he's been all season for the most part, he's taken a big stride defensively after getting basically exploited in the NBA finals last year yeah. by LeBron. Yeah. Um, and he was, I thought it was really impressive what he was able to do against a tough physical Milwaukee team defensively. So we'll talk about some of the more unfortunate performances on the Miami side of things. I'm here with Wes Goldberg of the Bay Area News Group, and we'll be continuing our conversation on the game one loss of the Milwaukee Bucks here on Locked on Heat. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with a Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. I'm here with Wes Goldberg. We're breaking down game one of the Miami Heat versus Milwaukee Bucks series. And some of the players that didn't step up, we've talked about a few uh, players that had some big games. Unfortunately, I was expecting more out of Tyler Hero and as you mentioned earlier, virtually unplayable late in the game. 19 minutes overall, just two of 10 from the floor. Two of five from three-point range. So that shot looked like it was starting to fall late in the game. And then inexplicably, he just wasn't able to really capitalize on anything and just wasn't having much of an impact, certainly not defensively. Although he did try. Like there was a couple of plays there where he, he just kind of locked in and, and saw the opponent and said, you know what, I'm going to do my best to, to guard him. And it didn't really pay off, unfortunately. But uh uh, he did have a block, I guess. Uh, that's a, a positive thing. Uh, overall, just 10 points for Tyler. I, I don't know if it's the crowd, the last game, one of the last game, oh, oh, the last game in Milwaukee, uh, right before the end of the regular season. He looked like he was out of sorts as well after being mostly effective for the last few weeks of the regular season after he coming back from injury. Not the case today. Uh, again, two of 10 from the fields. I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what it was. I don't think a lot of the looks were open. 
he had the ability to knock those down, but he just didn't seem like he, he at one point in particular, he was defended well by Bryn Forbes. Uh, it just wasn't able to engage and, and scoot past him the way we've seen Tyler do so often against better defenders. And he just wasn't able to get past a guy like Forbes. That's That was particularly head-scratching. Uh, did you see anything there that Milwaukee was able to do defensively in order to limit Hero's game? No, I, I think it was sort of on hero, right? And, yeah. um, you know, I always try to find ways to give credit to a defense because I, I don't think we do that enough. But in this case, I, I just think it was tired. I don't know if he's dealing with some sort of injury or something, but he's also been relatively streaky throughout his career. Uh, a big reason why the Heat were as successful as they were in the postseason last year was because Jay Crowder turned into Clay Thompson and because sure. Tyler Hero turned into Kobe Bryant, basically. And uh, if I, I, I don't they don't need him to be as good as he was last year because I think they have ways to make up for it in other places on the roster. But he needs to be something close to it, certainly, if they're going to try to advance the Eastern Conference finals or something like that. So, um, you know, that that to me is concerning. Like you said, he he was really starting to come on strong towards the end there. I think that he had one of the best five or six offenses in the league over the last several, over like the last stretch of the regular season. Yeah. Uh, and that, and now a lot of that was because of Tyler hero sort of finding his stroke and the fact that he wasn't able to uh, in that last game of the regular season. And in this one is a little bit concerning, especially because like Milwaukee's sort of like a hometown game for him too. Like, I don't yep. know if that plays a factor. I, I don't know, but um, you know, you definitely need more from him than two for 10, right? Like Milwaukee's going to give up a bunch of threes and stuff, but they're also, they're going to give up, they're going to give up threes because they're trying to take away what's at the rim. So they're also going to give up quite a bit of stuff in the mid-range area. And you kind of go back to the Bam Adebayo thing. If he's making those mid-range shots, I think it's a different game. And if Tyler Hero is getting, it has that like little, you know, hop step, fade away, mid-range thing going on, it changes the game too. Yeah. One guy who I thought was going to absolutely have a big game was Kendrick Nunn because he can use that first dribble step to get past an offender on the perimeter and have kind of that middle mid range area there to work with something we've seen with his pull up jumper you know, fall pretty frequently and fall with some regularity towards the last half, a month of the season where he's looked really, really sharp. Again, as you mentioned, as good as here has been and why Miami's offense has been so good, a big part of that also because of Kendrick Nunn only four of 10. So just slightly better than Tyler two of six from three point range. So at least he was able to capitalize from long range, but uh, only 10 points. I, I thought he would have more of an impact. He only wound up playing 23 minutes too. And I don't think it was particularly because of any kind of defensive issues he'd had, but it just did seem like Eric Spolster made his decision to go with Goran Dragic over Kendrick Nunn. Sure. It made sense, but I thought he'd still be able to capitalize on those minutes he played. And he, and he just never seemed like he got into any kind of comfortable rhythm there. Can we talk about Miami's defense a little bit? Cause I found the way that they defended Giannis pretty interesting. Okay. Um, so they were obviously prepared for the Giannis spin move in a way that I think Giannis was really confused by. I mean, there yes. were a few times where like Jimmy Butler smacked the ball out, 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 smacked the ball coming out of that spin move. And Giannis thought that, you know, that counted as some sort of deflection. And then he, you know, got coaxed into a travel. That was big. Tyler or yeah, Tyler hero got a steal off of that spin move. I mean, just completely saw the spin move coming and just grabbed the ball and, and went down the other court with it. Um, and uh, you know, I think, um, at the end there, I think it was the fourth quarter. I'm pretty sure it was the fourth quarter, not overtime. But Giannis tried to go back to the spin move again in a crunch time situation, and Jimmy Butler just stayed in front of him. And, you know, Giannis uses that that left-to-right spin move all the time yeah. because it's sort of like a misdirection thing, and it get, it, it kind of confuses the, the defender's feet. 
and and he ends up getting to the rim with his like long arms and stuff. But Jimmy Butler just doesn't respond to it. Like the, you know, he Giannis will go into that spin move and he just doesn't move. Right. He's a brick wall. Yeah. And and again in that fourth quarter and it was a crunch time situation. Giannis needed a bucket and he goes to that spin move right after he you know crosses the foul line. Jimmy Butler doesn't move and Giannis is just like shocked that. Jimmy Butler is still behind him and can't move. And he just gives up, just flatly gives up. Like that was it. Yeah. Like when, when you, when you stop and scout that spin move, the way that the heat did in that game, there's a reason Giannis was 10 for 27 in the game, right? He did not, I think have a very good game at all. Um, and they scouted that spin move really well. He doesn't have a counter. There's no other thing, right? It'd be one thing if he had that nice, a, a nice little mid range thing. And you can go to like a Dirk Nowitzki, fadeaway jumper or something, but he doesn't have that in his game. So once you stop that spin move, he just gets rid of the ball. And I think that was very clearly scouted by Miami. I thought they did an awesome job defending it. Yeah. If there was any advantage there for Adetokounmpo, it was just really that he was just taller than everybody, a little bit more athletic and explosive than guys like Bam or Jimmy. Where he, he just, just runs and jumps, right, James Harden? <laughs> Am I wrong? I mean, maybe they just were able to limit what he can do other than that. But it seemed like his only effective shot was basically running and jumping. So, I mean, I, I won't criticize it. I know Giannis is a fine player, but he was just collecting rebounds. One point, he pulled the rebound down over Jimmy Butler. Like, he seriously just, like, climbed over him and just reached down, grabbed an offensive rebound, and was able to finish it off at the rim with a dunk. Like, I just – he didn't he didn't do anything else particularly well. No. I mean, build up a, a head of steam, get to the rim, and finish it with an explosive dunk from 10 feet out. Yeah, I mean, that's great. James Harden's not wrong, by the way. No, he's not. I, I don't think that takes anything away from Giannis, though. Like people look at, like, no, that Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal was a pretty great. good dunker, right? I mean, that's good enough. Yeah, for Shaq had great time. footwork too, and I, I think Giannis's footwork actually is a little. I, I think it has a ways to go, but, uh, you know, his nickname is the Greek Freak. You know, not like the Big Fundamental or something for a reason, right? right? Like, right. Th- there's a reason for it. Um, the other thing, what did you think about them calling the 10 second rule on the free throw? By the way, and shout well, out to Karan Butler. Well deserved. Like, like we, I, I, a lot of people had been noticing it, and I think it's been slowly building up there. And and over the course of the game, it seemed like it was. Were you upset about it? Look, I didn't. No, he takes so long at the line. My girlfriend actually texted me. She doesn't really watch basketball that much. I mean, she has more like this year, but she was like, Giannis takes forever at the free throw line. Why it's going so long? And I guess that's something you notice when you don't watch a lot of basketball. It's like, why right. is this take? Like, why is this like a golf swing? Right. You know. And it's and you're like, you're right. Like this dude takes forever. And it's because he's a lousy free throw shooter. Number six one, of 13, six of 13 from the line. Yeah. Like 60 percent for the, the regular season or something like that. Like yeah. dude's an awful free throw shooter. I don't know, man. Um, I, I but the one other thing on, on Miami's defense on Giannis um, without Jay Crowder, I was really interested to see who their primary defender would be. There's an argument to be made that they should have just started Bam on Giannis and just be like, you know what? Let's just take you out of the game. But obviously you want Bam with his help defense and stuff. And then, and then the yeah. size thing with, with Brooke Lopez and, and all that stuff. So I don't, I never thought that they would end up starting Bam on Giannis, but yeah. I thought it was pretty, they, they were really comfortable with Trevor Ariza starting on Giannis. And I thought Ariza did an awesome job, especially fronting Giannis in the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Ariza would go out of the game, they would put Andre Iguodala on Giannis and he obviously did a very good job, but I thought Ariza was probably their strongest defender. And then in the fourth quarter, they switched up the looks you know, right when Giannis was starting to figure it out, uh, they switched up the looks. They put Jimmy Butler on him for like the first half of the fourth quarter. And then they ended up putting Bam. Right. No, no, Jimmy Butler was on him. Bam was still in the center. And then they flipped it midway through the fourth quarter, like at the normal, like six minute break or something. 
And then Jimmy Butler was, or Bam was guarding Giannis. And then Jimmy Butler was starting to guard the centers. So they showed him a lot of different looks. And I thought it was really interesting. It was really smart by Spo to do that defensively. I wonder if there's an adjustment for Milwaukee to make going into game two. I don't know that there is just like seeing different guys, but I, I, I wonder if that's something that they'll notice and try to take advantage of now that they know what know what's coming. Yeah. Well, let's let's wrap it up there because this is an interesting conversation, though. But uh, one last thing. I wonder, as Heat fans are looking at this game one and, you know, it's a two point loss. And I had been I'd been pretty consistent in saying that Miami needed to go in there and be decisive take game one, really put the pressure on a team that has shown historically that they can't really handle the pressure all that well, force Budenholzer to make adjustments that he's not comfortable making, force Giannis to do things, again, that he's not comfortable doing either. There's not a lot of playoff experience on that roster with the exception of guys like Lopez or, you know, P.J. Tucker, who are just older veterans. But, you know, Holiday doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. Giannis is, you know, what Giannis is. Middleton's fine, but he's shown that he can crumble. Uh, Overall, though, should Miami fans be encouraged by the loss? Because while they did have a terrible game from Jimmy and Bam, you assume that those players will find a way to bounce back. And if just if Jimmy and Bam are just okay, not even great, just okay, Miami wins this by a landslide. Mm-hmm. Conversely, however, Milwaukee was the fourth best shooting team in the league, tied with Utah at 39%. And they shot really badly from the three-point line, uh, just a 5 of 31, 16% overall from three-point range. So credit to Miami's defense. They did a phenomenal job. But is this more about Miami got lucky that Milwaukee wasn't shooting well or that Miami will still find a way to bounce back with Jimmy and Bam playing at their level? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that Heat fans should be encouraged by this, but I don't think they should be discouraged by this. Like, Coming away from this game, I still have no idea who's winning this series. Milwaukee leads one nothing. I have no idea who's winning this series. It's still anybody's thing. Uh, if Miami ends up pulling it out in overtime, Bucks fans would have been pointing to the three point shooting and right. Giannis missing a lot of foul shots, making. even though he always does. Like it would. Well, it's the same thing that the Heat fans are doing right now. Honestly, like you know, if Jimmy Butler and Bam, like it's whatever the reason is. Like there's reasons for losses. It doesn't always have to be an excuse. But um, I, I I thought that like watching the game again. It, you know, you don't want to get too involved in the makes and the misses. Watching the game, I thought that Spo outcoached Boonholzer. I do, and I thought, just like last year, and just like last year, I wonder what sort of adjustments Boonholzer will come with, and I wonder what kind of adjustments Spo is going to come come back with because it kind of strikes me that despite having, despite Milwaukee having won, Bud is the one that needs to make the adjustments, not Spolstra, right? Yeah. That's the weird thing about this is I thought that the Heat played a better game. I really do. Um, and the yeah. fact that they walked into Milwaukee and took them down to overtime and down to the wire, and it took like this miracle Chris Middleton shot with three people all over him uh, to win that game. You know, again, I wouldn't be encouraged. I'm not discouraged. I just, I, I think it's still anybody's series and uh, it's too early to, to say one way or the other. I, I will go a little further and say that I think, Miami fans can absolutely take some encouragement from this because one, I don't see Milwaukee shooting this bad again, but I think a lot more of that can be attributed to Miami's defense because they've done it consistently all year. And I think we won't see bad shooting performances like this from Jimmy and Bam in the future. So if you just get them to play even reasonably better, Miami wins this pretty easily. I think uh, I like the edge that Spo gives them. I think that there's a lot that uh, Spo can do differently, and I think every player spoke about that after the game. 
they all could improve that they can all you know get slightly better at I, I think we're more likely to see even the role players on Miami side bounce back like PJ Tucker did what he does Bobby Portis struggled you know he was pretty good from, from three-point range and he still managed to make his meager contributions of eight points they didn't get much else from their bench I, I thought that was going to be a strength of theirs but uh it turned out to be a, a pretty big weakness for them overall I, I think Miami can really remain somewhat optimistic they're not falling apart there as bad as it is no. for he fans right now i think you can look in that he locker room and they're pretty confident they can still win the series it'll come down to game two obviously for milwaukee side of things they'll need to defend their home court they'll want to make a case and and, and prove that they can still compete at a high level uh miami knows what's at stake here they don't want to go down oh two in the series when they come back to the, the miami uh and, and look i should add also miami welcoming back full capacity at the american airlines arena that should be an exciting yeah. Home crowd, definitely going to give an edge to the heat there. But uh, Wes, uh, I think everybody listening to the show can know where to follow you, but just go ahead and remind my listeners <laughs> where they can find you. Well, the Warriors season is over, so I'll just be tweeting extensively about Miami now at WC Goldberg. You can find whatever Twitter content that I decide to pull off that day over there, I guess. Oh, wow. It's a tough loss for the Warriors because I, I thought, well, not only have you been doing a great job covering the team, but uh, I thought the Warriors were going to find a way to pull it off against the Memphis Grizzlies, but that not not the case. But anyway, just a reminder, you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskHellaHeat. Be sure to please follow the show and leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting the show, and thanks to all of you. Wes will probably be back at some point to help cover the Heat series. I'm David Ramil, and I'm signing off for now.